but we're going to deal with Joel chapter 2 primarily. We'll move in some other places, but I'm going to read Joel chapter 2. So those that want to follow along. Anyway, we ready? All right, so let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We come to you in Jesus' name through his blood. We thank you for your word. Where would we be today without the word of God? Lord, I thank you so much for, for giving us the word. We bless you. And Lord, as we pray tonight, I ask you that you would anoint and speak through me everything that needs to be spoken, Lord, that it would be powerful. It would be as living seeds sown out into good fertile soil that your Holy Spirit even right now would begin to move upon all of us and give us good fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives, that this will go out, that the Holy Spirit even right now is moving upon all of us and helping us to have um, our minds tuned in to not be distracted by anything, that our hearts are in tune with you, Lord, that we have eyes and ears of the Spirit, that the Holy Spirit touch our eyes and ears to be able to see and hear what maybe we couldn't before. But Lord, I ask you to speak through me everything that needs to be said and that this will be powerful, effective, and fruitful. And the winds of your spirit will carry this out among the nations. And Lord, let there be a washing of the water where let there be light of revelation shine and dispel the darkness and lies and deception of the enemy and bring truth and revelation. Let this be a powerful time in your word. And Lord, we stand on the promise your word will not return void, but accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. But we also know Jesus said the birds of the air try to steal the seed. So Lord, we agree together corporately that anything that would try to hinder this word in any respect any distractions any hindrance anything that would try to affect me or those that are listening in any way we bind you in the name of jesus we command you you will stop it right now and go and leave away from this word and those that are listening right now we bind you in jesus name and lord let the power of your holy spirit break in and move in people's lives and we thank you for your word in jesus name we pray amen all right, well, I'm going to deal with um, the topic of restoration tonight. And in this, we're going to deal with the power of prayer and fasting and how God moves in to bring restoration, okay? It's a little bit different sermon, but this has to do with conquering Jezebel. There's issues where we're dealing with end-time spiritual warfare. And I was just thinking about this week my wife and I happened to watch there was a show that came on Sid Roth and it was uh, Dennis Clark and he does a lot about inner healing and this particular uh, episode he was talking about soul ties and unhealthy attachments and I sent the link to you guys I hope you get a chance to watch it but it was just really good and as a matter of fact I would say that in many ways it would be very life-changing for people but there's a lot of times that there's undealt with issues in people to where they haven't let the Lord meet every need in their life. If you're needy in any area where you need, uh, you feel like you need a relationship or you, uh, you know, you find yourself, some people turn to substances like alcohol or some people turn to entertainment, some people turn to food and comfort food and then have a lot of weight problems. But people turn to different things because the Lord isn't meeting that need in their life. And they're needy, and it causes so many problems for people because they end up making horrible decisions that affect their life, affect the lives of other people, and it's, it can be very devastating to people. Anyway, that episode dealt with a lot of that, and I just encourage you to watch it. I know people that are listening to this, 
Um, this is being preached in May of 2019. And so this episode probably aired either April or May. You can go back many times with Sid Roth and look at old episodes archived. But it was Dennis Clark and it's dealing with soul ties. And I highly recommend it. All right, anyway, as I'm talking about this tonight, I couldn't help but think also as my, and my mother came up and was giving testimony about the, all the witnessing and things that have been going on. And it just brought up the subject to me of Americanized gospel and Americanized Christianity. And it grieves me so deeply. This is, this is one of the deepest griefs in me is that there's so many people out here. Now in Dallas, it might be different in some other areas of our nation. I suspect that it is. But here in Dallas in particular, we're in the Bible Belt. And the generations gone by are very familiar with the gospel, at least to some degree. But there is a huge number of people out there. We talk to them all the time, and you guys know it. We go out there witnessing all the time that they, they are religious. They know who Jesus is. They either go to church or they've been to church at some point. And if you were to ask them, you know, if you died tonight, would you go to heaven? A lot of them are like, I think so. Um, I hope so. And I'm a good person. None of that is going to get you into heaven. I think so. I hope so. I'm a good person. What people have to understand is, is that it's not based on your good works, and it certainly isn't based on you being religious. There's a lot of religious people in the world. It's only going to be by the blood of Jesus that you're going to get into heaven. That's it. And it's going to be his blood that you come into that, that blood covenant that was... His blood was shed at Calvary. It's a covenant that you enter in that covenant with God. And the Holy Spirit, when you truly enter that covenant, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. And the Bible calls the Holy Spirit the seal. You know, he's come as a seal to keep us. And the Holy Spirit will come and live in you. And when that happens, the Bible calls that being born again. And when the Holy Spirit enters you, you will never be the same. It's not about going to church or saying some prayer. It's not about all these religious activities. I can't help but think, you know, Steve Hill had to deal with this at Brownsville. Man, how many times I heard that man say, you can go to hell with communion, a wafer in your mouth, you know, holding a hymnal in your hand, wearing a choir robe. You can go to hell with baptismal water still dripping off your face. You better be born again. And see, he had to deal with this issue. And I think for some reason that's just weighing on me tonight, but I have such a heart for, for the lost. And it may be that Brother Steve was very instrumental in my life and very instrumental in this ministry. And his legacy lives on. But I tell you, leaving out here every week and seeing all the people out here that are lost, it really grieves me. And I'm, I'm praying earnestly for a harvest of souls. And I believe y'all are too. But we need the Holy Spirit to move. We really do. There's a lot of deception out there. There's a lot of things that are very off. And, um, but when the Holy Spirit comes, you remember on the day of Pentecost, Peter got up and he just preached a very basic message, which is actually, some of it is in my sermon tonight, but he preached a very basic message, but the Holy Spirit was moving so powerfully in his message that people that were listening, the Bible says they were cut to the heart and there were thousands of people gave their life that day to the Lord. 
but see it was the holy spirit that convicted them and that once the holy spirit cut them to the heart that's a conviction they were saying what must we do to be saved see it's the ministry of the holy spirit that draws people to jesus and it really grieves me that we're living in a time when people are trying to do away with the holy spirit in a lot of places we need the holy spirit's activity his ministry like we've never needed it here we are in the last days this is the time to be welcoming the holy spirit and embracing the holy spirit not trying to put him off in some corner somewhere amen all right well anyway in this sermon tonight we're going to deal with just a couple things it's a little bit different sermon i know i didn't give you guys notes but i just want you to look this way and give me your best ear um start with acts chapter 3 verse 21 this is part of Peter's sermon. So after the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost, which you read about in Acts chapter 2, Peter got up and began to say, these men are not drunk as you suppose. And he said, this is just like nine in the morning. He said, no, this is the Holy Spirit. And he began to preach, and this was part of his sermon. I'm going to give you two different uh, points he made here, but this is the first one in Acts 3.21. Talking about Jesus, he said, whom heaven must receive until the period of the restoration of all things, about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient time. So there is this restoration of all things. And I can't help but think right now how it seems to me like the early church had so much power, had so much healing, had so much deliverance, I mean, to the degree, think about it, you're reading about Peter's shadow healing the sick, you're reading about Paul going into different places, and like Acts chapter 19, great revival breaking out. Even handkerchiefs and aprons that were prayed over and sent out, people were healed, delivered to demons. Major things. And it grieves me because you can see how Satan moved in and began to steal so much from the church. To the degree that after Constantine came to power and began to do away with a lot of things, the gospel was snuffed out completely. That's when we, the, you know, people say the church, it was really Roman Catholicism. We need to make a difference there. But Roman Catholicism came to power, and the gospel was completely snuffed out. And Satan had stolen pretty much, at that point, pretty much everything from the church. And what represented the church was just Roman Catholicism, which was just a shell of religion that wore a mask of Christianity. And God began to move. We know, many of you know this, you know history. And so in 1517, Martin Luther began to really be burdened because things had gotten so evil that Roman Catholicism was trying to raise money to build all their big fancy buildings. And so they went through on this campaign saying that you could you basically could buy indulgences and what that meant was that you could go and give money to a priest because they were fundraising so that you could go out and sin and it would be okay and that's what that meant and so Martin Luther had gotten to the point as he was a German monk and he had seen all of this he had seen all the hypocrisy and all the religion and all the garbage for so long that whole thing of indulgences was just the straw that broke the camel's back. He had had enough. And he began to really buck up against the system. And God gave him a revelation. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. 
where it talks about it is by grace that you're saved through faith and see up until that point Roman Catholicism believed and unfortunately still does even though people don't know this but that they believe you're saved through the Catholic Church through Catholicism if you're a good little Catholic and you do the rosary and you go to confess your sins before man and you do everything they tell you to do you'll go to heaven that's a works-based thing and Martin Luther got up and said that's not the truth the truth of the matter is that you're saved by, by accepting Christ. It's faith in Christ alone that saves you. And he started a revolution. And it was something really that it was the beginning of the restoration process. And God, listen, this is important what I'm about to tell you. God started the church. The church was birthed. We read about it in Acts chapter 2. But Jesus had told the disciples, it was the, around the 40th day of the counting of the Omer, he told them, he said, now go wait in Jerusalem until you're clothed with power. In other words, what he was saying to them was, I had to be baptized in the river Jordan. I had to be clothed with the Holy Spirit. And I depended on the Holy Spirit my entire ministry. And I'm telling you guys, do not try to go out and do things in your own human effort. You go wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you in power. Then you will be my witnesses. It'll start in Jerusalem. It'll work its way out to Judea and Samaria. And it'll even go to the ends of the earth, which we know later that that was Paul and Barnabas began that really with Peter, but it began to go out to the nations. But I want you to take note that it was by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that the church was birthed. What makes us different from every other so-called religion out there, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship with God, but what makes us different than everybody else is the fact that God sent His Holy Spirit to live inside of us, that we are born again, and to be at work in the church. And it was by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Acts, in Acts chapter 2, this birthed the church. And the church had such power. And Satan did everything he could to try to snuff out the church. He, he, you know, he began to move upon those Roman emperors from Nero to Diocletian to, to try to persecute. They were thrown to lions. They were burned alive. They were tortured. They were in prison. He did everything he could, but the church kept growing and flourishing because it's not by human effort and it's by the Spirit of God. And, and no Roman emperor could stop it. So Satan changed his tactic and he began to infiltrate the church and began to pervert the gospel and turn it into a religious institution. And that's what happened. But I want you to see something. That God has been in the process since 1517 of restoration. Are y'all hearing me tonight? Let me say that again. God's been in the process since the days of Martin Luther of restoration of all things. It started with the restoration of the gospel because that's the most important thing. After that, we read about how great revivals. Have you noticed is when you look down through history, have you noticed that every time there's been a major historic revival, you know what that is? The Holy Spirit being poured out, just like in Acts 2. So just as the Holy Spirit was the one who birthed the church, the Holy Spirit has been the one down through the ages that has been steadily restoring everything back that the devil stole from the church. And I think about in the days in the mid-1700s under, 
uh, John and Charles Wesley and under you know the ministry of Whitfield who's a traveling evangelist and Edwards we had the great awakening that broke forth in our nation and God began to restore back not only the gospel but now there was this power of the Holy Spirit that was at work and it was drawing people back to holiness that they were truly repenting and getting things right with God and then the great Cambridge revival and then we had the great revival under um, Charles Finney, and Brother Nash in the mid-1800s. And God was moving so powerfully. But I want you to see something here tonight. Around 1900, God was already beginning to move in this area in the late 1800s. And it take too long to talk about all that. But Azusa Street. What did God restore back to the church at Azusa Street was the baptism in the Holy Ghost. This was something Satan had stolen. So God, as he's been pouring out his spirit, every time there's been great revival, there's also been great restoration. Truths that needed to be restored. Emphasis that needed to be made once again. And in the same way in the days of Azusa, as God poured out his spirit, there were great healings and miracles. The Azusa Street revival was so powerful that there was literally a glory cloud that was in the building. People literally saw at times a fire that was on top of the building and the fire department was called because it was very literal, like the tabernacle of Moses. Major healings and miracles were taking place at Azusa. But the great truth that God was restoring back was the baptism in the Holy Ghost. And we needed that back in the body of Christ that once again we could be clothed with power we could speak in new tongues, that we could lay hands on the sick and they could recover. We could drive out demons. We needed that again in the church and God restored it. That kind of had an outworking effect in ministries like John G. Lake and Smith Wigglesworth and many others that kind of after those days were flowing with great power. But in the 40s, God began another revival. It's called the Latter Rain Revival. And God began to raise up people like William Branham and Oral Roberts and many others that the Holy Spirit once again was being poured out with great power. And during those days, there were many people that had traveling tent ministries and they would set up a tent in various areas and people would come. But what was being restored back during this great revival? Healings and miracles, signs and wonders, and the deliverance from demons. And people came from far and wide and they filled those tents and you can even see clips of it to this day. Great revival, but God was restoring back now the ministry of healing and deliverance. And I believe that this has been a steady process, but I want you to notice that it's been by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that restoration has come. That's the emphasis I really want to drive home tonight. Because it's only by the ministry of the Holy Spirit these things can happen. And I, I was blessed to be a part of the great revivals of the 90s. I went to them. I saw amazing things. And I saw so many people get right with God. There were major healings. There were major deliverances. Lives were transformed. People that had just been religious repented and got right with God. But people need an encounter with the risen Christ. So how does this take place? I want you to think about the power 
of prayer and fasting for a moment and how that plays into restoration and I'm gonna give you a couple here tonight just a couple examples one of them is Nineveh that God sent a prophet by the name of Jonah and we know the story Nineveh was in Assyria and Assyria was a very hostile nation toward Israel as a matter of fact Assyria was the one that was coming into the northern tribes and persecuting Israel and ultimately God allowed them to take those northern tribes into captivity it was a judgment but Assyria was brutal and consequently when God told Jonah I want you to go to Nineveh a capital city of Assyria Jonah didn't want to go because he was thinking himself I know who these people are I know how wicked they are and how much they've hurt my people and I don't want to go there and tell them to repent and get right with God and see God bless them and so Jonah became a rebellious prophet and tried to run from God. We know the story. God sent the big fish and taught him a lesson. All right, so Jonah ends up going to Nineveh. But I want you to see the power of something. Nineveh, who was a Gentile nation, a heathen nation, a nation that worshiped other gods. Here this guy comes in and he's walking through and he's prophesying that God's about to send judgment. He's probably still got some seaweed in his hair. He's probably bleach white. Probably scared him half to death. But anyway, this prophet comes walking through and he's saying that God is going to judge him if they don't repent. But I want you to see something. Nineveh, can you please tell them to be quiet? Nineveh repented. Nineveh humbled themselves even though they were a heathen nation. Nineveh humbled themselves before God. Please hear this tonight and not let anything distract you. Nineveh even though it was a wicked nation humbled themselves and they repented before God in sackcloth and ashes they prayed and they fasted and they repented and what happened God sent revival a major repentance and that's what happens the power of prayer and fasting And so I, as I read through that story, I began to think about how powerful it was that even these heathen, if they humbled themselves and prayed and fasted, that God would hear their prayers. And I got to thinking about how wicked Ahab was and how Ahab also, he was somebody that was so wicked and God sent a prophet to tell him that he was going to be judged. But even though that was the case, Ahab humbled himself and he prayed and he fasted and when he did, judgment was averted. In the days of Esther, I want you to notice that this shifted nations. In the days of Esther, once again, the situation came up where Israel was in dire straits. We know the story that Haman had stirred up things to where Israel could have been annihilated. But Esther called for prayer and fasting. And what happened? God broke through for them what I want you to see here is that it was prayer and it was fasting as people humbled themselves that that literally it affected nations and so with that in mind I wanted to read Joel chapter 2 and I'm just gonna read through this whole passage because I want you to get something tonight and then we'll close out with a few scriptures but we're living in a time where we desperately need the Lord to break in. It's not something that we're going to be able to do in our human effort. 
And let me say something too while I'm on this that it's also really grieved me all of this debating. Even some that are going out in their street preaching, God bless them, I honor that. I love street evangelism. But sometimes they're just debating. Winning a debate, winning an argument is not necessarily going to get somebody saved. In fact, I would go so far as to say it rarely will. Did you know that there was a, I was at a table recently where there was a group of ministers and this man was telling all of us that in one of our colleges, one of our universities here in the Dallas area, I don't remember which one it was. I think it was a UTA, but it could have been another one. But he was saying that for years that they had had this debating thing and the college allowed it but that Christians were coming in and they were getting up and they were debating things they were debating different issues and I think that he said that this was going on at least like six or seven years and then he looked at me and he was totally dumbfounded by this but he said I was talking to the people involved and he said I could not believe this but he said, after all this time, there's not been one person that has accepted the Lord. And I just looked at him and there was absolutely no surprise on my face, which I think surprised him. And I said, well, I wouldn't think there would be. Because it takes the Holy Spirit convicting people, man. It's not about, you know, whether or not your opinion about abortion and then my opinion is this clash of opinions. You know what that is? It's dwelling in the realm of intellect. The Holy Spirit has to go deeper than that and convict people's hearts that they're a sinner that needs a Savior. And so that is what I feel many times. There's so many different things going on right now that, that is almost like a distraction to the gospel. Churches are trying too hard to be entertaining and being cool and they think that that's going to win people. Let me tell you something. That might get people to come to your social club. But they also may never be born of God. And they may spend eternity in hell because they never got right with God. It's not about entertaining them. There's plenty of entertainment out there. What we need, and I know that you guys know this, we need a move of God, a historic move. The type of moves we read about where the Holy Spirit came down with such power that even the hardest hearts were convicted, where people were gripped by the fear of God, people collapsed under the power and repented and they got up changed like the Apostle Paul. We need people to have encounters, but that's something only God can do. And we also need the purity of the ministry we read about in the book of Acts restored back to the church. But see, the early church depended on the Holy Spirit. They weren't dependent on a charismatic personality. They weren't dependent on all these different programs and gimmicks and entertainment and all these different things that we depend on today. They went in the power of the Holy Spirit and they depended on God to show up and heal the sick, deliver the captives. And to draw people unto Jesus. Seriously, they desperately needed that. Or their meetings would have been a total failure. They had nothing else to offer but Jesus and that was enough. They didn't need plan B. But now all we see is plan B. And that was one of the things that really got me when I went to Brownsville because I saw people were lined up outside all day in the heat. And when I came in, I saw people. 
weeping and, and the power of God was so strong in there. And I saw people running down to get saved. I've never seen anything like this in my life. And I saw people running down to give their lives to Jesus by the hundreds. And the altars were full of people weeping and wailing and repenting. And as I, later as I began to study revival, this is a common thing because the Holy Spirit was, was gripping people with the fear of God, with conviction, the reality of their lost condition. That God would do that again. I wonder how many places, if the Holy Spirit really came in like that, how many people that sit in churches week after week would realize that they're lost and get right with God? How many of the tares would leave and the, it's like the wheat field is being purified? So with that in mind, I want you to understand putting all that in context, Joel 2, because this is going to make a lot of sense as we read through this. So Israel had allowed themselves to get so backslidden and so far from God that God allowed judgments. God allowed the heathen nations to begin to come in and their military was oppressing Israel and God wanted Israel to repent. The whole reason for God's judgment was to bring repentance. And so Joel, being a prophet, stood up and he began to prophesy. And I'm just going to read this chapter, Joel chapter 2. He said, blow the trumpet in Zion. That's in Jerusalem. Sound the alarm from my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the judgment of the Lord is coming. It's close at hand. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Like the morning dawn spreading upon the mountains, so there comes the heathen nations, these military forces coming in to oppress Israel because they're in sin. They're not right. And he said, A people numerous and mighty, like of which has never been before and shall not be again, even in the years to come, in generations to come. Number th Verse 3, A fire devours before them and behind them a flame burns. The land is as the Garden of Eden before them and behind them a wilderness. Yes, and none has escaped the ravages of the devouring hordes. Their appearances is like the appearance of horses. Like war horses and horsemen, so do they run. Like the noise of chariots on the top of the mountains, they leap. Like the noise of the flame of fire devouring stubble. Like the mighty people set in battle array. Verse 6, before them the people are in anguish. All faces become pale. They run like mighty men. They climb over the wall like men of war. They march, each one straight ahead. They do not break ranks. Neither does one thrust upon another. Every one stays on his path. And they burst through upon the weapons. Yet they are not wounded and do not change their course. They leap upon the city. They run upon the wall. They climb up and in the houses. They enter the windows like a thief. The earth quakes before them. The heavens tremble. The sun and moon are dark and the stars withdraw their shining. So you can see here, Israel got in sin. God and Joel is prophesying, if you don't repent, God's going to send these armies and they're going to begin to march down upon you and they're going to oppress you like you've never been oppressed before. And we saw that in history with the Assyrians and later with Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. Verse 11, the Lord utters his voice before his army. God called this military force coming in to oppress Israel. He called them his army because it was his instrument of judgment. 
For his host is very great, and they are strong and powerful who execute God's word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible, and who can endure it? Therefore also now, says the Lord, turn and keep coming to me with all your heart. With fast listen to what God's saying to Israel. Now says the Lord, turn, come to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning, until every hindrance is removed and broken fellowship is restored. Verse 13, rend your hearts, not your garments. God is fed up with fakeness. He says, here you are living in sin, but you're going to rend your garments and act like, oh, we're weeping and wailing before God. He's not fooled by that stuff. He knows the heart. He said, rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. For he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. And he revokes his sentence of evil when his conditions are met. Who knows, but what he will turn, revoke the sentence of evil, and leave a blessing behind him, giving you the means by which to serve him, even the grain offerings and the drink offerings. Verse 15, blow the trumpet in Zion. Look at this, set apart a fast, a day of restraint and humility. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the people. This is what God was saying. Don't let it just be something with a handful of people. Begin to get people together. He said, gather the people, sanctify the congregation. He's telling people to repent and consecrate themselves. Get the sin out. Get really deeply consecrated before him. Assemble the elders. Gather even the children and the nursing infants. Let the bridegroom, who is actually legally exempt from attending. Remember when they got married for a year? They were, he said, get them out also here. Go forth from his chamber and the bride out of her closet. None is exempt from this humiliation. Let the priests, let the ministers of the Lord weep between the porch and altar. Let them say, have pity and spare your people, O Lord. And give not your heritage to reproach that the heathen nations should rule over them and use them as a byword. Why should they say among the peoples, where's their God? Then was the Lord jealous for his land and had pity on his people. This is what he's saying. If you'll gather together and you'll pray and you'll fast and you'll really repent and consecrate your life unto me. The Lord says, the Lord answered and said to the people, behold, I'm going to send you grain and new wine and oil. You'll be satisfied with them. I will no more make you a reproach among the nations. I will remove far from you the northern destroying army. And I will drive it into a barren, desolate place with its front toward the eastern Dead Sea and with its rear toward the western Mediterranean Sea. And its stench shall come up like that of decaying locusts, a symbol of the northern army that, ha that were destroying. It says a foul odor will come up. I'm reading this from the Amplified. Verse 21, fear not, O land. Be glad, rejoice. For the Lord has done great things. Do not be afraid, you wild beasts of the field. For the pastures of the wilderness have sprung up and are green. The tree bears its fruit. The fig tree and the vine yield their strength. Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. For he gives you the former and the early rain in just measure and in righteousness. He causes it to come down for you, the rain, the former and the latter rain as before. And the threshing floors shall be full of grain again. The vats will overflow. 
See, what you have to understand is the former rain was a rain that, that had to do with right before winter. They would plow and plant. It would rain. And they depended on that former rain. But after winter passed, springtime came, the latter rain would come, and now the harvest starts being yielded. And God says, I'm going to restore if you'll return to me. If you'll repent, if you'll humble yourselves in prayer and fasting, you'll meet these conditions. You'll call that assembly together. The Lord says, I will have mercy. I will drive back this northern army that's been oppressing you. I will send you the rain on your land. I will cause new grain and the wine to come forth. I'll give you fresh oil. And he said this. Look at this in verse 25. And I will restore the years the locusts have eaten. Great restoration. And he goes to describe the, the stripping locusts, the crawling locusts. My great army I sent among you. There's, the enemy comes in to steal, kill, and destroy, to begin to devour but God says, I will push them back and then I will restore everything that they destroyed. And my people will no longer be put to shame, verse 27, and you shall know and understand and realize that I am in the midst of Israel and I'm the Lord your God, there's none else. My people shall never be put to shame. In verse 28, look at this. In connection with restoration, are you seeing this? If people will get desperate. I've been talking about this tonight. I hope this makes sense. But all through history, there's been a period of time where we would see the church was backslidden, people away from God. You could see society was allowing things to go on it shouldn't have. And there was always like this remnant group, though, that God had that did not bow their knee to Baal. It's like they were different. And they began to cry out. They saw the condition of the world, and they saw the condition of the church. And they began to meet together like a solemn assembly. And they began to pray and they began to fast and they began to cry out to God. And it's like the Lord not only heard that, but he began to push back the armies of darkness. And he began to move so powerfully and restore. And listen to what verse 28 says. And after this, he said, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men dream dreams. Your young men see visions. Even upon my men servants, upon maid servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit. I will show signs in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire. And he goes through to describe all this, but the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is always connected with restoration. It's where we begin to really get serious with God. People are tired of playing games. People are tired of just playing church. The social club isn't cutting it. We know religion isn't cutting it. Entertainment isn't cutting it. The world is getting worse, and it is. We see the church is getting worse in many ways. There, there's, there's just a lot of stuff. And then we begin to cry out to God and get serious with God. And God hears. And God begins to intervene. And he begins to push back those tides of darkness. He begins to push back the mighty army, that darkness. And then what? He begins to pour out his spirit and restore things the way they're supposed to be. What is it supposed to look like, Book of Acts Christianity? But there's got to be a group of people that get serious with God. And they're willing to pay the price of prayer and fasting. As I mentioned earlier, even heathens like Ahab, judgment was pushed back when he humbled himself in, he humbled himself in prayer and fasting. Think about that. How much more so will God hear his remnant people? Even Nineveh 
had revival as they humbled themselves in prayer and fasting. If God would do that for the wicked, how much more is he going to do it for the righteous? But it's just that people have got to get serious with God. I think what the problem is, and I had this, uh, you guys know the story. I think the only reason God sent me to this church and I was there and I just kind of helped out with the youth, I was a, basically a youth myself. I think the only reason God sent me there was to meet these two older women that were intercessors. But one of them told me this, and I'll never forget it. She said, Scott, she said, Pentecostal people, we have a heritage. And she said that many of them know how to have revival. She said they're just not willing to pay the price in prayer and fasting to have revival. Think about that. That stayed with me to this day. She told me that when I was probably 19 years old. That's, it's like that stayed with me all these years because it's so true. But somebody's got to get hungry enough. Somebody's got to get desperate enough to begin to really get serious with God and pray and fast for a move of God. And see, with it's like the burden of the Lord to really see the harvest around you. You remember how Jesus was up on that hill and he saw those people. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And he had compassion. I'm sure he was to a degree, there were tears probably coming down his cheeks. And he was burdened for them. I feel like that's the heart God wants us to have for the lost that are out there right now. You know, we can all just go home and just look out and just wave at people and be friendly, whatever. But where's the burden that many of them will perish eternally in hell if we don't reach them? And our little programs and our social clubs are not going to do it because it's not going to get them born again. It's going to take God moving by His Spirit to convict them of their sin. Anyway, Acts 3.19, when Peter was preaching, the crowd heard and they were cut to the heart. They were convicted. And Peter said this to them. He said, therefore, repent so that your sins may be wiped out in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And people were repenting. They were getting things right with God. And God began to pour out His Spirit in an amazing way in Jerusalem. I guess what the Holy Spirit is having me preach on tonight is this. Is there a group of people that will yield themselves to the Holy Spirit to have enough of God's burden for the lost and enough of God's burden to see restoration to really get serious in prayer and fasting with God and to push into Him and to cry out to Him and, and not give up. Because I've, I've, all through history, I could tell story after story. And I remember just quickly about the Isle of Hebrides, a famous story. You know, Duncan Campbell came and the Holy Spirit moved, but Duncan Campbell was very clear. He said, it was not me. He said, I walked into the move of God. Here's what happened, and he knew it. He said that there was these two older women that had such a burden. They saw how the island was just getting away from God, and they had such a burden, and they began to pray. And they spoke to the local pastor, and they said, if you could get some men together to pray. And they began to meet in a barn. There was around a dozen of them. And they began to really pray. And it was so dry. But one of them one day, God began to speak to him that scripture in Psalms that says, Who can ascend the hill of the Lord? He that has clean hands and a pure heart. And he began to say, Lord, but do I have clean hands? Is my heart pure? Search me. And it was like the conviction of the Holy Spirit began to fall in that barn. And the men, the pastor and the men that were there began to say, Lord, convict me, do a work in me. 
and god began to really purify them after that the holy spirit began to move in that barn among them see revival's got to start in us and those old women that were meeting in their home and those men that were meeting in the barn they were pleading with god send revival send revival to the isle of hebrides we see that church attendance is waning we see that now the bars are getting full and the churches are empty now we see that the body of christ is backslidden things are not where they need to be and they were crying out to god and god spoke to those two old ladies and said send for duncan campbell they did he said i'm busy i can't come and they said oh you will come because god said you're coming and this is when you're going to be here and he showed up you don't mess with those old women i know them. i'm telling you so duncan campbell packed his bags he showed up and he went and he preached and the first night he preached he said it felt very dry at first uh, nothing really was happening but they came out of the meeting and people were descending the hill and one of the elders said don't worry brother campbell the holy spirit is brooding and as he said that the holy spirit began to fall on the people and all of a sudden as those older women were praying they would tell duncan campbell you need to go over here you need to go over here and he would go and the holy spirit would just fall and people were gripped with the fear of god as a matter of fact history recorded that there were people even in dance halls that were so gripped with the fear of god that they would just flee out of there there was one account where people had they were so just gripped with the fear of God, they didn't know what to do, so they just made for the prison. And they were asking the, the, the local policeman, what do we do to get things right with God? And so he sends for Duncan Campbell. And Brother Campbell comes, and people are there gathered, and, and, and he said that among the people, Duncan Campbell said among the people that were there at the jail that night, he said that all of them that gave their life to the lord are still serving the lord today when he was talking he said some of them went on to be great preachers only god could do that another account was people were woke up in the middle of the night in a neighborhood they were gripped with the fear of god they didn't know what to do they're coming out and and the holy spirit is moving upon them they all just kind of made for the church and so they send for brother campbell he comes he's standing in the podium the holy spirit falls on these people these are not godly people here the holy spirit falls on them they begin to weep and to wail and to cry out to god he said that he said he's just standing there in awe of this people start running down and they're just beating their head on the floor repenting and and he doesn't know what to do it's just the holy spirit they're so convicted but anyway he leads them to the lord the same thing happened down through the years you read about the awakenings it would not be uncommon to hear some heathen was going down the road on his horse next thing he knows he gets off and he's he's gripped with the fear of god he collapses in a ditch he's crying out to god for mercy and then some christian happens along to lead him to jesus these are things only god can do you understand that I hope you understand that this is not something we can do if our life depended on him if somebody put a gun to our head we couldn't do it you can't convict people only the holy spirit can you cannot you know cause somebody to be born again you can just tell them the truth the holy spirit has to do that and as i've said multiple times all of our programs all of our best efforts all of our performances all of our entertainment all the things that the plan b that we're doing that'll never truly 
cut people to the heart and change who they are. And down through church history, there were people, there were groups of people that knew, just like in Hebrides, they knew God had to come down. And they prayed and God heard. So restoration comes connected with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit fell in Acts 2. And ever since then, every time God has wanted to do some kind of a restoration, a harvest of souls, ground to be taken, we read about how the Holy Spirit was poured out again. Signs and wonders, manifestations of the Holy Spirit. It was like Satan's northern army was driven back and the kingdom of God came down and invaded the earth. Now I'm going to close with these last couple things. There's always been a parallel between Israel and the church. Around 1900, Israel began to buy up land. World War I eventually broke things. But even in around 1900, people, the Jewish people were talking about you know, the Zionist movement going back to Israel. And once the World War I broke out, it broke the land free from Ottoman rule. In the same way, it was around that time frame in 1900, the Holy Spirit was poured out in Wales and Azusa and continued to move. You have to understand, even the outworking of the Welsh revival was seen with ministries, very powerful ministries in England um, with the Jeffrey brothers. And here, here you guys know about John G. Lake. But see, the Holy Spirit poured out so strong in Azusa that even after Azusa, there was still like tributaries, like a river flowing through John G. Lake's ministry in Africa. But that was connected. Well, God was doing something significant with Israel. He was also doing something significant with the church. Around 1948, Israel was birthed as a nation. And we had the great latter rain revival I talked about with William Branham, Oral Roberts, etc. Again, a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit, restoration. In the 60s, 1967, Israel took Jerusalem. Major end-time prophetic event, major. And during that time, we had the great Jesus revival that broke out in America. And it was Lonnie Frisbee and, and what happened in California, but it spread all over the nation. It was a major revival. And um, anyway, I feel that based on the scriptures that we're about to see another major move of God major move of God it is very possible that the move of God that's about to happen is going to be worldwide and it's going to be the it's very possible it will be the last great revival that actually ushers in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ because it's not going to be by our human effort. It's going to be by the Spirit. You got to understand. How is a bride going to be made ready for the coming of Jesus? It's not going to be slick preaching. It's going to be the Holy Spirit. How is it the end time harvest is going to be brought in? It's not going to be by human programs. It's going to be the Holy Spirit drawing that harvest in. And I believe that that's exactly what there's going to be some very significant things come up with Israel. And there's going to be some very significant things come up with the church. I believe we're on the cusp of one of the greatest moves of God we've ever seen since the days of the early church. And it's going to culminate with a remnant bride being caught up in the air to meet our bridegroom. The church was birthed by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Down through the ages, the Holy Spirit has been poured out to give great advancement, to drive back the northern army, 
to bring in the harvest and to see great restoration that God would do it again and let me close with these two scriptures Amos 8 11 Amos said behold the days are coming says the Lord when I will send a famine in the land not a famine of bread nor thirst for water but a famine of hearing the word of the Lord we're living in a day when it seems like it's so dead and so dry but how many of you guys knows that whenever wood is really dry it can catch fire quick many times when you study history and you study revival it was like society was at an all-time low that revival came God intervened but it's almost like he let that wood dry out so dry that it just exploded when the fire came you know it just burst into flame God knows what he's doing and this is the last scripture I want to give you Amos 9 13 behold the days are coming says the Lord when the plowman will overtake the reaper now how in the world does that happen and the treader of grapes him that sows the seed now how in the world does that happen you got somebody trying to sow seed but there's this supernatural harvest coming in before they can even plant the seed good you see what I'm saying and the mountains shall drip with sweet wine and the hills shall melt that is everything barren and unfruitful shall overflow with spiritual blessings I believe that we're on the cusp of a supernatural harvest something only God can do our best efforts can't cut it and I wish I could play that clip for you right now I just don't have it where Duncan Campbell said that when 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 you hear him talk about revival people that's been touched by revival it does something to you and you hear is his Gaelic accent but he's talking about he's saying it was not anything that human effort could do he said God came down sovereign and supernatural in the midst of men that's what we need an invasion of the power of God so Lord as we close this out I just pray that you'll stir up a hunger in people literally a desperation to see revival that's the only thing that is, is really going to make a difference eternally is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit Lord we're asking you we yield ourselves as vessels and we're asking you Lord to send a move of your Holy Spirit Lord that will usher in this end time harvest of souls globally it's not something we can do our social clubs will never get it done our entertainment and programs just won't cut it Lord we need you to come and we need you to pour out your spirit and Lord we ask you to send such an outpouring that people just like we've read about in church history that people are gripped with the fear of God the Holy Spirit granting new life to them a born-again experience they'll never be the same they're literally going to be born in the fires of revival and Lord we ask you to purify your church and begin to judge things that are not right we ask you Lord to shake the church the Bible says judgment begins in the household of God begin to shake things and begin to pull down that which is not of God and Lord let there be a, a sifting of things that need to be sifted there's many that have come in that are not even of us they're in because it's a social club they've joined but Lord we ask you to come down with such a fierceness of the Spirit of God that they will either be gripped with the fear of God and they'll repent and they'll truly be born of God and they'll get on their face and say forgive me for my stale hypocritical religious life I want to truly know you or they're gonna flee and get out of there but Lord we ask you to come down and purify the church 
And Lord, we ask you to send revival in such a way, Lord, to get a bride ready for the coming of the bridegroom. Lord, that we'll be without spot or blemish. We're going to be wise virgins with extra oil, ready to meet our bridegroom. Lord, we ask you for that. And I pray, raise up intercessors around the world, Lord, in great number, that will pray your kingdom purposes into the earth because it is by the prayer and the fasting of God's people that cry out to him is why revival and restoration comes. So, Lord, we ask you to raise up intercessors. Let it come. Even as I'm preaching, there may be some people that are going to hear this, that the Holy Spirit will come upon them. And, Lord, they would be baptized in the Holy Ghost and with fire. And, Lord, that they're going to begin to groan and travail for the harvest to come in. Lord, we ask you to raise them up around the nations of the world and let it come, Lord. And we pray that they will be used to pray in your purposes and that the purposes of hell will be canceled by their prayers. Lord, let it come. Drive back that northern army that's been oppressing. And Lord, bring revival and restoration. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Oh.